on, guys. Welcome to another episode of Millennial God, where we help Christians navigate life, politics, and culture in America. Today, I really want to do a deep dive into your personal spiritual life. Uh, and then at the end, I want to talk a little bit about how your relationship with God can either fulfill or more than likely hold back God's uh, will and his intent for Christians in America. And I want to start today's episode by asking you to take a hard look at yourself and ask yourself the question, is your life truly, fully committed to serving God and serving his will on earth? Uh, or do you just live a life where you generally try to do the right thing, but you still spend a lot of time chasing your own desires and kind of relying on yourself? Maybe I can make it a little bit clearer. Uh, in the Bible, we can see that there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Uh, the kingdom of light is ruled by Jesus, but the kingdom of darkness is ruled by the deceiver. But a lot of time he lies to us in the kingdom of darkness, and he tells us that we're the ones in charge, that we can be in charge of our own lives and that we can call, call the shots. Uh, so who's the king in your life, I guess, is really what I'm asking. If it's, is it Jesus, or do you think that you're calling the shots in your life? Most people will tell me that they're somewhere in the middle. They feel like they lean on God, but they generally want to be in control of their own lives. But the truth is you're completely 100% either in one kingdom or the other. Uh, the way the Bible puts it is, you're either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. There really is no in-between. And to be honest with you, I felt like I was doing this for a lot of my life, right? Like I was trying to live in both kingdoms. And a lot of you probably feel that way too. Uh, I think a lot of times we make the decision to follow Christ early on, but then we don't necessarily have someone in our lives who is willing to disciple us or uh, to show us what it, what it means to be truly devoted to God. Uh, or, or honestly, for most of us, we just don't have someone in our life that is really devoted enough spiritually to have enough uh, or have anything to offer uh, us in discipleship because they don't understand. There's just not enough people around to disciple us uh, to that further commitment with God. Uh, and what I want to cover today is the sort of normalization of undevoted faith in the American church. Another word you may have heard used to describe this is lukewarm, and we'll get to that kind of towards the end. So first of all, what does the Bible say about this? What does it say about what our lives should look like as Christians if we are fully devoted to God? Let's just boil it down to the two commands that summarize all of God's commands, right? Uh, Jesus, tell us to, Jesus tells us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. He says that in Matthew 22 and Mark 12. So love God. Let's break that one down first. So he says, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That means complete and absolute devotion. Every moment of your life should be consumed by desiring to obey God's will on earth. Every moment, every thought, every feeling, that's how passionate Jesus told us to be about God. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So he says to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, did you feed yourself today? Did you clothe yourself today? Did you make sure that you had shelter today? Of course you did. And Jesus expects you to do that for everyone else, just like you do it for yourself. Christians and even pastors will kind of water this, this phrase down to mean something along the lines of, well, just, just be nice to each other, be kind to each other, be friendly to one another. But that's not what it means at all. It means that the second, that second only to devoting yourself to God, you should be making sure the needs of everyone else around you are met. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. He died for us. He literally gave up his life. And that's how he expects us, how far he expects us to go for one another. Just like he loved us, 
That's what he says. And that's what he expects us to do for everybody else. And then just keeps going. Uh, he says that people will actually know that word, his disciples, by the way we love one another. That means that people should be watching your life and know that you're a follower of Christ solely because of how much you love other people. Does that sound like the American church today? When people leave the building on Sunday, does the rest of their week look so wildly devoted to God and irrationally loving to their neighbors that people are like, wow, those have to be Christians? That doesn't sound like the American church at all, right? The American church usually consists of people leave the building and then go into their job where they just work uh, to have enough money to take care of their family and have some hobbies and hang out with friends and retire and live a comfortable life. Like that's, that, that is the American church and that's the American dream, right? In theory, where do you see that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? God calls us to a life of wild devotion, but most American Christians live lives that look nearly identical to non-believers outside of Sunday morning from the hours of 9 to 11. And a lot of, I'm sure a lot of you out there are thinking, well, yeah, I'm not perfect, but Jesus makes up for my shortcomings, right? Because that's what we've been told by, by pastors for so long. By thinking that, what you're saying is that you don't have to be completely devoted because Jesus will just do it for you, right? You're using God's grace as an excuse to go on sinning is what you're doing. And James, when it says that faith without works is dead, what he's saying there is, yes, of course, we are saved by our faith in Christ. That is what we are saved by. But if you aren't producing any fruit, if you aren't devoting your life to serving God and loving your neighbor, then that faith is dead. And unfortunately, that's where most American Christians are right now. Lukewarm, dead faith. So how did Jesus and his disciples carry this out? What did their lives look like, right? Because we can kind of use their lives uh, as examples of what our lives should look like. Yes, maybe they had different jobs or they had different roles or something like that, but more or less, our lives should look pretty similar. That's what Jesus called us to love others just like he loves us. So why shouldn't our lives look like his did, right? So let's think first about what Jesus' Jesus's life looked like. Uh, we know that he perfectly obeyed God's commandments and he perfectly obeyed or perfectly loved those around him. Uh, but we also know that his approach to people in need and non-believers was much different than his approach to the Pharisees and people who claim to be religious, right? So let's look at Jesus' approach to non-believers first. Uh, time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus was very loving to non-believers. Uh, I mean, he healed people of incurable diseases. He healed them of injuries, right? Uh, but he also told people the truth, uh, that they should repent of their sins, that they should follow him, and that sh they should obey God's commands. That's how he loved others. Not only did he do those miracles, those wonderful miracles to show that he was the Messiah, uh, but he also told people the truth, and he told people to repent of their sins, and he told people that they had to obey God's commands. That is also love. He was telling them the truth, and that truth was love. Uh, and that's what our love to non-believers should look like, too. Maybe you won't heal someone of leprosy, although maybe you will, right? Uh, that's certainly possible. But what's more likely is that you could clothe someone or you could feed someone or shelter someone. Uh, and while you're doing that, you could share the gospel with them and explain that you're loving them because of the way that Jesus loves you. And like I said, Jesus loved people who uh, claimed to be following God's commands much differently. Uh, he was much more critical a lot of times. And I'll probably do a future episode on how Jesus interacted with people that called themselves religious. But for right now, I, I want to focus on his commands and interactions with non-believers and those in need. 
So let me give you an example of how the disciples lived out Jesus' commands in the New Testament, right? He says to uh, love your neighbors as yourself. He said to love others uh, just the way that he loved them, uh, loves us. Uh, and he clearly gives us a command to love other people, right? So in Matthew 25, Jesus made it incredibly clear that he's actually going to judge us uh, based on how we love one another. Let me read verses uh, 31 through 46 for you real quick. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who, are, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we, we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus makes it pretty clear here that he's going to judge us based on whether or not we love the people in need around us. I don't know how much clearer he could have made, uh, made it in that regard. Uh, and the disciples clearly took this very seriously. Listen to these verses from Acts. Well, actually, first, first I'll say uh, I could do an entire season just on Acts. If you ever wonder if, you know, what your life is supposed to look like as a Christian society, go read the book of Acts, uh, and it will give you a pretty good idea. All right, so let me get into Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, let me read that real quick for you guys. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is exactly the kind of love that Jesus commanded us to have of one another. They were literally selling off their possessions, their belongings, to make sure that everyone's needs were met and taken care of. And then what was the result of that? It says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The people around the disciples saw how the disciples were loving others and knew that Jesus had to be true because of that love. Let me give you another example. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, it says, now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said to uh, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, 
and it was distributed to each as any had need. Again, selling whatever they have to make sure that others are taken care of. Does that, does any of that sound like your love for other people right now? Does that sound like your church's love for other people? Because that's the kind of love that Jesus commands us to have one another. It's not just a nice to have. He says that he's going to judge us for eternity by whether or not we did, we, we had that kind of love towards other people. It says that there wasn't a needy person among them. Uh, do you guys realize that if the churches in your community truly came together and truly loved people, that they would ha- already have the resources already, it already exists. They would already have the resources, the money, the manpower to end homelessness in your city. Do you realize that the American church has the resources to share the gospel with every unreached people group on earth? Do you realize the American church has the resources for all of that to end homelessness, to share the gospel across the world? But we as a nation are so unloving that we'll pay for bigger church buildings or more staff or more donuts before we ever consider giving shelter to every homeless person in our city. You know, uh, when I talk to people about this, I often get the question, well, then where do you draw the line, right? That's that's the question for a lot of people is they know they're supposed to love other people and then they know that, that, you know, it's supposed to be this unconditional theory that they, they may or may not understand. Uh, and people look at their normal American life and they're like, okay, well, yeah, I can understand that I'm supposed to love the homeless. I can understand that I'm supposed to feed them and clothe them, but where do you draw the line? Where, where's this line? The answer is that you don't. And that's my whole point here. As Christians, we've been finding lines to draw where we feel like we're checking the boxes to get into heaven while still maintaining this pretty worldly life. Yep, I gave my 10% tithe. Check. Uh, I went and fed homeless people at the at the shelter on Thanksgiving. Check. Uh, I gave clothes to the homeless shelter. My son doesn't cuss. I listened to Christian radio. Check, 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 right? That question, where do you draw the line? It tells me exactly where people's heart is. They believe that there's some minimum expectation out there for us to do uh, to, to live in eternity. When in reality, the expectation is for you to be so overflowing with works of righteousness as a result of your love uh, for God and neighbor that your life looks completely different. The real question isn't where do you draw the line? The real question is how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to sell everything you own to give to the poor? Are you willing to give up your soft, comfortable life here in the United States to go live on a mountain and make disciples in the Middle East? Are you willing to get cursed out and spit on and trash thrown at you while you uh, go down to Planned Parenthood and, and tell the mothers the truth about abortion? Are you willing to lose friends or your job or your family because you tell them the truth about Jesus? Jesus calls us to carry our cross and lose our lives for him. And Yet most Americans aren't even willing to lose their lifestyle for him. In Matthew 19, there's a story about a young man who comes up to Jesus and asks him what he must do to have eternal life. And Jesus tells him to keep the commandments, to love his neighbor as himself. And so the young man, he says, yeah, I've I've kept all of those commandments. And then Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. In other words, sell everything you have to the poor and devote your life to me. But the young man walked away because he was wealthy and comfortable, and he didn't want to give everything he had earned uh, just to follow Jesus. Doesn't that sound a lot more like the American church? Let me give you guys a couple more verses that I think sound a lot like the American church. First one's from Ezekiel 16. It says, uh, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Remember Sodom from Sodom and Gomorrah, right? 
This was your sin, the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Another one from James 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Don't those sound like the American church? I'm not, really, I'm not here to criticize the church. I'm really not. I'm here to challenge you, though, to take a look at your own life and know that if it isn't fully committed and you aren't seeking biblical fruit produced as a result of the way you live, then you probably have a lukewarm faith. And that's a really hard truth for a lot of American Christians to come to terms with and understand. When you do decide to follow Christ, the old you has to completely die. Everything about your previous life has to die so that Christ can fully live through you. But most of us are stuck trying to serve both masters. We're trying to live in both kingdoms that I talked about at the beginning of this episode. We want to feel like we're doing good things and we're going to church and we're reading our Bible, but very few people are willing to give God full control of their lives. And very few people are willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill God's will on earth. Listen to what Jesus says to two of the churches that he mentioned in Revelation 3. So first he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. All right. Then he goes on to, to say of another church, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Doesn't that terrify you? That if you call yourself a Christian, but your faith is lukewarm, then Jesus says he's going to spit you out. He's speaking to churches here. He's not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to people of the world. He's talking to churches in Revelation 3. When you look at the American church today, isn't that exactly what he would say to us? So you're probably wondering, how does a normal person with a normal job in America really commit to the extent that I'm talking about here? Well, first thing I'll say is you need to genuinely take a look at your relationship with God and ask yourself whether or not you have died. The old you has died in that baptism and fully accepted Christ as the king of your life. And be humble. And honestly, day after day after day, ask God to show you his will for your life on earth. Uh, and show to, and to show you opportunities to love uh, your neighbors, because I think a lot of us don't recognize those opportunities. And so continue to pray, again, for his will for your life uh, and for those opportunities for us to love our neighbors unconditionally. Second thing is that there certainly isn't a one-size-fits-all solution here, right? But you should absolutely lean on Jesus' Jesus's example uh, and how the disciples were living after he left, because there's absolutely nothing stopping you from starting a Bible study in your home or going house to house in your community. There's nothing stopping you from helping out the homeless or the addicted or the impoverished in your community. And there's definitely nothing stopping you from devoting your life fully to God. Everything else in life, your job, sports, hobbies, activities, time with friends, all of that, it's all a distraction. And if you aren't using it to serve God, if you aren't using it to glorify God, to further his will on earth, then you probably just need to cut it out of your life. Once you've made the commitment to fully devote your life to God, start finding a mission field that you're interested in, that you feel called to. If you're not sure what that looks like in your life or in your community, then please reach out to us and we will, by all means, help you figure that out. 
You also need to ask the church you attend to help fund the mission field that you feel called to get into. Uh, if they give you an excuse, then please contact uh, our fo- the folks over at ReChurch because we will definitely help you have that discussion uh, with your church. As I mentioned uh, in a recent Instagram post, some statistics about Christian giving, uh, and I'll share those with you guys right now too. So uh, just for your awareness, 96% of all Christian giving goes to church administration. So that's things like salaries, uh, you know, rent for the building, pretty much any cost that the church has to have to keep running, uh, running the church. A lot of times that also includes things like uh, building projects and donuts and food and coffee and anything that, again, a church uses, a modern church uses uh, to run their services. Unfortunately, that only leaves 3% of all Christian giving, 3% uh, of all giving to local ministry. So that's things like homeless shelters, local outreach, abortion ministry, anything like that. Only 3% goes to that. And only one single percent, 1% goes to reaching 3.2 billion people who have not heard the name of Jesus. Let me say all of those again. 96% of Christian giving goes to church administration. 3% goes to local outreach and 1% goes to 3.2 billion people who have not heard the name of Jesus. The Bible is pretty clear that we are meant to devote our lives to God. Uh, And in doing so, we should have an overwhelming love for the people around us. And he calls churches to to do that exact same thing. Does 96% of Christian giving going to church administration sound like that? I don't think it does. Imagine what our communities would look like if all the churches in America were filled with leaders who trained and equipped their churches and congregations who were fully devoted to God and willing to give everything to see his will done on earth. We would have a completely different nation. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, If you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media, and you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.